Hey yo, we was having a ball, and you know they asked me to get on the mic, and they asked me, can I kick it? Words. Can I kick it? So Tony, I uh, I met you in Nashville at a brunch table because I had some seats open and you sat down and uh, you asked me, hey, what do you have in that Pelican case? <laughs> but but most importantly, thank you for being here, man. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you and uh, welcome to the CW Clinic. Hey, man, I appreciate the opportunity to come on here. And that was a funny breakfast. I mean, we did have some uh, RTA syndicate brothers sitting at the table. So I knew that you weren't some really strange dude. Otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't have been at the table with them. But you did look pretty peculiar with your Pelican case. I'm going to use an alliteration right there for you. So so when you saw the Pelican case, did you think gun or something else? I thought it was firearms. I definitely yeah. thought it was firearms because that's how we travel. And, you know, yeah. you had to have it locked up and go through the whole TSA embarrassing type, giving you the third eye and wondering what the hell you're doing with a gun type look. But, you know, I, it was watches for those who are kind of wondering what the mystery was. He had a bunch of watches, which I have so, on the like as well. Yeah. So I think you were, you were wearing a Rolex. What were you wearing? A Yachtmaster? Yep. Yeah. yeah, a yacht master. I'm gonna explain why I had the Pelican case. Prior to that, I did once go through TSA pre-check with a full magazine in my briefcase, and they pulled me aside and they're like, "You, you screwed up." And I was like, "Oh yeah, what did I do?" They're like, "What does that look like?" And I'm like, "Shit." <laughs> I had a, I had a round. Uh, actually, I experienced something slightly similar, but not as bad. But <laughs> I was going offshore one time and I grabbed my duffel bag and there was actually a, a live round still inside the bag because I used it for the shooting yeah. range. Yeah. And that, that was a lesson there that all that ordeal of going through the office, being questioned, all this crap. I said, okay, the lesson here is that I do not use the same bag for my shooting range as I do for my travel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. I, uh, I didn't apply that to me because it was my briefcase and I carry, I carry a, a Kimber micro nine as a EDC mm -hmm. and, uh, it goes in my briefcase sometimes. So I, uh, I gotta maybe change that up a little bit. I mean, but, logic though, look at this firearms. You've got a mag that even if it's filled, yeah. what are you going to do? Pull them out like Tic Tacs and throw them at somebody? <laughs> or are you going to throw the magazine at somebody? I mean, that's probably yeah. more dangerous throwing a, a loaded mag at somebody versus thinking about what they actually are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know what, dude, to be honest, like it was my mistake, just like it was yours. And, uh, you know, things happen, shit happens. We just, you know, plug along with our day and, you know, mistakes happen. We're human. And I think that's going to be a huge thing we should discuss, uh, when it comes to making mistakes, you know, prior to getting into that, to explain the Pelican case, um, we were at this event, you know, where we were at. And uh, I had just taken in a $150,000 Audemars Piguet on consignment. Someone wanted me to sell their, you know, their, their Audemars Piguet. And while I was in Nashville, I was delivering watches to people. And I was like, you know what, what am I going to do? 
am I going to leave at this point, half a million dollars worth of watches in my safe, including someone else's that's high value? Or am I just going to take it with me? And I know that everything's safe. God forbid someone breaks into my house or the, you know, yeah. steals or so on and so forth. So I was getting, I was getting made fun of the whole time in Nashville. And I was like trying to explain it to people. I'm like, if I lose this guy's watch, it's going to hurt my bank account. So long story short, I was trucking that thing around the whole time. Uh, the Friday night event, uh, Saturday event. I think we met on a Sunday, Sunday morning. I had it next to me the whole time. I was running around Broadway on Saturday night with it. They wouldn't let me into the bars. Uh, but uh, I think it was safer to have it with me than, than not. And you know, when it comes to these sorts of decisions in business, just like, just like you probably have, I've made big financial mistakes and I've learned my lesson. (laughs) Man, I just take my gun where I think I'm going to be a somewhere of high risk. I mean, for example, when I had one of my Dodge Vipers delivered to me at the factory and it's in Detroit Mm. and I was trying to make it to a, back to a show, I had some sponsor deals lined up and I said, only way I can make to the show is to fly into Detroit and drive that thing home. Cause it was the show was the next week. And I said, fuck, I'm going to be driving a hundred thousand dollar car through Detroit. So I, that was one of the trips I did pack my carry. And when I got there, I had to go buy some rounds, you know, cause you can't carry the ammunition with it in some of those boxes. So yeah, I just, I just try to be safe. You know, you just gotta yeah. plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I carry everywhere I go. I mean, you, you when I'm carrying inventory, it's an easy target. And just like you're an easy target in the car, right? You know, um, I don't know if I would want to drive in Detroit in a Viper though. It sounds like you probably could lose some wheels pretty easily with potholes. Yeah, you you get really good at slalom, you know, (laughs) like you see the potholes and you just learn how to weave at higher speeds and the car is really good for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I could, I can imagine uh, my current daily driver is an RS7 and um, it has like 22 inch stock wheels on it. Tiny little tires. Tiny little tires in the edges of the stock wheels are like razor sharp. Oh yeah. And I'm here in Connecticut and they, it, the, the plows beat the roads up in new England. So I go over a pothole, even slightly wrong. I'm out of tire. Oh yeah. And of course they don't have spares no. and they, they give you, you've seen this, they give you this like half-assed, uh, thing that is supposed to fill your tire up. The inflator, the inflator system. That Basically, one. it's fancy fix a flat with a built-in pump. Yeah, Does, doesn't work. <laughs> Not on big holes. Doesn't work. A nail, a nail stuck in your tire, it'll work. Blowout, no. Yeah, yeah. I've learned that one. I've bent the wheels on that car uh, four or five times now. I've had it less than two years. Actually, it just came back from the wheels getting straightened out, and yeah. I actually think I have a. Um, what the hell is it called? A wheel bearing. I think, I think I need to work on a wheel bearing because I have mm. some hum, humming coming from the front, probably from right. some potholes. Yeah, if I lived anywhere in the north or northeast where there's winter roads and salt conditions and potholes, I think I would just stay in my TRX the whole time. I would just drive a truck. Here in Houston, the roads are generally pretty flat, not a whole lot of potholes because we don't get the harsh weather. So you mm-hmm. can actually drive exotics anywhere really in the south a whole lot easier than in the north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to hear a good story about, about my truck? Sure, man. I always love good stories about trucks. You'll appreciate this. I think you'll appreciate this. 
So we, we've had no snow in New England this year. Right. Everything, everything's been Utah, Colorado, California. Tahoe. Yeah. It's like 15 feet of snow, nothing out here in New England. Uh, the other day we were getting a couple of weeks ago, we were getting a nor'easter, which for anyone that's not familiar, a nor'easter is a hurricane in the winter, uh, very common here in New England. And it was supposed to be bringing two feet of snow to Vermont and, and I'm a snowboarder. So I said, oh shit, I, I gotta go. So my, my truck is a 99 H1, Hummer H1, huge tires, dude, huge tire. I think they're, I think they're 30 eight or something like that in unstoppable when it comes to potholes to say the least oh yeah okay all right no problem get up there no problem go snowboarding leave the mountain get back to uh the house that i'm staying at it's my buddy's house uh the driveway hadn't been plowed yet and the amount of snow at the front of the driveway was approximately three and a half maybe four feet and I deflated my tires because I have the CTI, I think it's called. I deflated the tires, plowed right over that four and a half feet of snow. I'm going, you know, three feet of snow on the driveway. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I get to an incline on the driveway and I just start spinning. And I'm in an H1. Yeah. It's like the most capable vehicle with winter tires on it, For right? Sure. So I start spinning. And I thought to myself, when I drove up the night before, it was slushing. It wasn't snowing yet. It was slushing because it was still a little warm. Mm -hmm. So that slush had kind of stayed stagnant and seeped mm -hmm. into the gravel driveway and, and became mud. Oh. It became mud, but there was three feet of snow on it. Mm -hmm. So I call my buddy as a chiropractor. I go, hey, Matt, uh, dude, I got a problem here. And he goes, oh, let me call my guy. So his guy comes in a 4,500 Chevy dually with chains on it. He gets stuck. Truck won't start. We're like, shit. He calls his boss. His boss comes and breaks the center pin on his plow in the driveway. So now we have three broken, stuck trucks in the driveway. The snowstorm ended up being 46 inches in 24 hours. <laughs> So, so, so yeah, best preparation does not always give you a solution. That's what no, me. Yeah. no. And you would think the H1 could handle it. No, yeah. I tested it. Didn't work. No, no, just they're, they're made for military use and, and dry land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, apparently. And, um, you know, uh, I learned my lesson on that one, but, uh, what, what I now know is don't drive the H1 in three feet of snow. It was plowing. It was yeah. actually plowing up the driveway. Yeah, they and, got the uh, most ground clearance of anything that's out there because of the way the axles are situated. Yeah. Yeah. You you probably know better than I because you're you're in this industry. It looks like you've been in the automotive industry for two decades. Yeah, since two thousand one. And you you looks like and remind me if or correct me if I'm wrong, looks like you exited one company and have a, another in the same industry. Yeah, built ls1tech.com, which is the number one General Motors performance community. We grew that to about 300,000 registered members. And then I created performancetrucks.net, which is a community for people that like to race trucks. That one we grew to about 280,000 registered members. Wow. So we had about 150 advertising accounts. We did live racing and shows events around the country and all the hotbed type markets. 
And it was a multiple seven figure business I built in my spare time because I enjoyed automotive racing and performance and being in the media and all that stuff. And we sold that company for a few million in 2007 and they didn't want the retail side, but I already built some businesses that were kind of e-com platform and wheels and accessories. And they just wanted the email addresses, the contact information and the advertising accounts, something they could really lump in. It was a private equity purchase. They yeah, the data. Assets. They can combine them and make a hundred million dollar company, right? But they didn't want the, the retail side of it. And I was like, well, can I keep that? And they're like, yeah, we don't want that part in here. We didn't even factor that into our value at your valuation. It's like, okay, cool. So I just created a separate LLC, Deviate Motoring, to focus on wheels and accessories and also keep me in the industry, also to keep me with basically wholesale costs and all the things I was going to buy anyways for my cars because I always mod them out. And it keeps me in the industry. So I enjoyed it and uh, doing that for 20 years also on the side and Nowadays, I'm working with SEMA and their the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association for this, basically the aftermarket industry. And they have me on the marketing type task force, helping them with their marketing and things like that. So yeah, it's been really good. The industry I enjoyed, I've written for all the major automotive magazines and all kinds of stuff. So I really enjoy being in that industry. So you exited that uh, LS1 just before uh, the last major recession, it sounds like. Yeah. And if I heard you correctly, you said you did that on the side, you built that company on the side? Correct. I was always working in oil and gas as a project manager. I've got an engineering degree that I've put myself through school as a blue collar you know, worker. I was a mechanic. I was a welder. I was a pipe fitter, waiting tables, going to school at night. It took me about seven years to graduate. And <laughs> and I enjoyed that aspect of the career. In the oil and gas industry, I got to learn to play with the big things. And you know, the thing is that a lot of people will boohoo corporate experience. And I know you've had different experiences before you got into this as well. But guys, I was in oil and gas and I was managing hundreds of millions of dollars. I, had, I was writing purchase orders bigger than most companies nowadays. And so I ga gained a lot of experience and processes and systems and also not really having to bake in the kind of emotions in the decisions. I think too many people, especially small business owners, they really cater to their emotions a lot of times when there's a key decision to be made, whether that's hiring, firing, scaling, all these big questions. And when you're working with really big numbers, you become numb to that. And so you start to operate with risk management and mitigations and understanding processes and redundancies. And so I became very good at doing that. And I applied that knowledge to my small businesses by putting processes, systems, and people in place where I didn't have to be present. I didn't have to check in. I didn't have to show up somewhere. And so ultimately I was making about 400,000 a year profit on those side businesses. Well, my engineering salary at that time was probably about 150. Commas and zeros. Yeah. Just it comes, numbers. It comes a point where it's just an extra zero, two or three in a comma. And you said something quite intriguing to me being a, someone of personal development and self-awareness, which I know you are too. Let me ask you something. Do you see a uh, similarity between lack of self-awareness, in this case, emotions or emotional intelligence, and small business owners that are getting started? You were, you were mentioning that a lot of small business owners make decisions with emotions. So to kind of like bring it full circle, do you see that as a lack of awareness because they're early in their journey maybe? Yeah. I, most people, not even just business owners, most people mm -hmm. react based on emotion. Mm -hmm. If you need really simple examples of that, if you're still road raging, if you're still screaming at the windshield and honking your horn and shouting obscenities at your own windshield where nobody else outside of your vehicle can hear that, 
you lack emotional control. And for most men, unfortunately, they think that if they're doing that, it's a show of force. It's a show of strength. But really, to anybody that's got emotional control, that's a fucking show of weakness. You're a weak human if you can't control your emotions. Now, I understand you're in a military background, and we also see first responder backgrounds, and we see people that are in special forces. These guys are have heat of fire. They're in the battle, but they maintain emotional control. And if you want good examples of that in movie, look at Hollywood's when you're looking at your spy movies or James Bond or something like that. These guys are stone cold killers who's walking around with a smile on their face, really calm, doing their operations. That's how you had to think about. That's actually the show of force. That's actually the show of power. So whenever you lose emotional self-control and you have a temper tantrum or lose your temper and you can't blame it on your dad, you can't blame it on, well, that's just how I am. No, you're fucking weak. And until you have the emotional control and realize that you're not ever going to correct that. So I would say use those opportunities where you feel road rage Feel the anger, but don't react that way. Learn how to respond. Respond and reaction is two different things. So we react, knee-jerk reaction emotionally, whether that's business or making snap judgments. But respond is the milliseconds in between the stimulus versus the reaction where you go, hey, how was the best way for me to respond? Is it really going to change the outcome? So I start to think about things we can control and just dude, just smile at the person. Whoever's cutting you off in traffic, they probably be oblivious to you anyways. They're probably having the best day of their life probably singing to the radio, maybe doing a selfie, talking to their dog in the next seat. They're probably having the best time of their life and they're ruining your fucking day for the rest of your day because you allowed them to get into your head. So it is lack of self-awareness. And if you need some guidance on that, I would say go join martial arts or some kind of a combat sport. That's where I learned it as a child. I took judo as a kid and I hated it, man. The first two weeks, I was just getting tossed. Yeah. I was getting tossed and tossed and tossed. They wouldn't teach me how to strike. They wouldn't teach me how to kick. Couldn't even defend myself. I was just getting grabbed by the gi and just tossed. And I told my mom, this sucks, mom. Like, they're not teaching me anything. I'm just being like a tackling dummy. And my mom's Japanese and she knows very well about martial arts. And she said, that's part of the process. That's how most people quit. You have to learn how to fall. You have to learn how to take the, the hits before you learn how to do the hits. Yep. And so I just stuck with it. And through that, because I did have that violent type temper, just like my dad did when he's, he's a Marine Sergeant from Vietnam, right? Exactly. I saw that in him and I had that as youth, but I realized that that doesn't change the outcome and it doesn't make you stronger. When you see these guys who are literally badasses can just walk in. And another example I'll say is we all like to watch combat sports, UFC, things like that. Now, when there's the entry music and the fighters are walking towards the octagon and they're they're kind of showboating a little bit and get the crowd riled up because that's the marketing, that's okay. They're showing their emotion in that moment. But as soon as they step in, the guy reads their stats off and you hear ding, ding. You watch them, they just get really calm. They get really serious. And they're slugging at each other and hitting each other as hard as they can and trying to literally take the dude's head off. But they're not being all emotional and running around and acting like, I'm super awesome and I'm tougher and I'm angry. Like that's fucking weak. They know that they're really focused on the objective. So I hope the takeaway from this little segment is, yeah, it is self-awareness. It's a long answer, but it's so important, man. To reel it 100%, excellent explanation. To reel it back in, I, I really feel that understanding the emotion that comes up in your case and what you're explaining anger, which is very natural. Anger is just an emotion. It's natural to feel, but understanding it and when it comes up is the key. Just like in business, when we make decisions, 
understanding the emotion that comes up. And, and there's a lot of emotions that can come up throughout the day as you, as you well know and go through and deal with, but understanding it and, and something that I have done for years is sometimes I just sit back in my chair and I just take a few deep breaths, yes. process the information. Okay, this stupid fuck is doing this. All right, got it. They clearly have no clue what they're doing. Take a few deep breaths. That's not my problem. We'll deal with this once I cool down, whether it's five seconds, five minutes, 50 minutes, but understanding it, having something in place. And I could tell you, anger was the hardest emotion for me to control coming out of the military and an MMA background. And some really cool things that I've put in place, like personal systems that have helped me for any entrepreneur out there, any male that has anger uh, coming up and they let it control them. Here's some really simple things that I do. And Tony, they might work for you too, or you do them. I wash dishes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I sweep it's literally the floor. bull in the China shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right there, huh? I sweep the floor and I take my dog for a walk. That, that one's key. Nature. Nature is a way yeah. to ground you. Get out right? of nature. Go get some sunlight. Go listen to birds chirp. Go watch some squirrels. You can't be angry listening to birds chirping and watching squirrels chase each other around. Yeah. And you can't fire off an email, make a phone call, do a text message, talk to your team, talk to a vendor when you're pissed off. Yeah. Because you're eventually going to regret it. You're going to deteriorate or erode your relationship with someone if you don't just burn the bridge right there. So you go out in nature, you walk your dog, you take care of it, whatever, wash the freaking dishes in my case, right? You calm down and then you have control over what you're doing. So I bet those fucking dishes are spotless when you're done though. Dude, they're good, man. <laughs> you're anger washing <laughs> they're them. <laughs> they're pretty good. And here's the thing, dude, if someone asks me to do dishes, Typically, I'm going to be like, nah, someone else could do that. Yeah. Not because I don't want to. I could just be doing better things with my time. However, if it comes to me calming myself down, it's a perfect time to do it. But I think we have to go through the inability to process our emotion, the ability to process our emotion, and then find the sidestep to, to really handle it. And I know you know this. You're in your you're you're you've moved through 20 years of entrepreneurship. At 15 in my second decade, I, I could tell you the first 10 years I didn't process my emotion correctly. So what that perspective allows me, which I think you would agree, and if you don't, please tell me when when I look at someone who's early in their journey, maybe two, three, four, five years, maybe under a decade. I almost expect them not to be able to handle their emotion correctly or make decisions as well as they could. Do you, do you ever have that perspective? Yeah, dude, it's, it's funny. Cause we, let's, let's, let's look at social media. We talk about really, this is not age. This is about experience, mm -hmm. right? Because somebody could start their first company at age 60. That doesn't mean they have all the answers They yeah. you may perceive that because they're old. They got the gray beard like we do. Right. Right. But experience in entrepreneurship or experience at a specific career or profession, those are what really matter versus your age. Yeah. And so if you're inexperienced, you're going to make stupid mistakes. And a lot of those are going to cost you thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or potentially millions of dollars. Like you're going to make the stupid mistakes. Yep. That's literally why people hire coaches like you and me. 
yep. mistake avoidance. We're trying to help you with these processes and accelerate results, but ultimately we're hiring coaches and learning from mentors or reading books, listening to podcasts yep. to avoid making mistakes. To That's avoid the, the landmine. Yeah, just, just a mistake avoidance. Yep. And so when you're young and you're making these emotional decisions or rash decisions or, you know, you, you got to realize that you're operating from what you've been programmed with from your teachers, your parents, your society, the way you grew up. Yeah. And you don't know any better. You know, for example, when I sold my first company, I was 34. So I'm a 34 year old multimillionaire. Yeah. And fuck yeah. I'm 50 now, but I would not hire my 34 year old self as a coach. Yeah. I would not do that. I Neither would, would I. I would, I would not even been the right person to do that. Yep. Did I have money? Yes. Did I have success? Yes. Did I have all that? Yeah. But I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the self-awareness. I still had a lot more insecurities. I still had a lot of growth to go through. And, you know, we think about people flexing and stuff on the internet that that was me in my thirties and twenties, right? Because I didn't have the self-awareness and I was also a lot more insecure. So I thought that I needed that external validation and that this is what rich people do and all this shit. So now when I see people doing it, I can tell how long they've been rich. They're yep. still doing it. It's like, oh, cool. You've been rich like less than 10 years. I get it. I've yep. been there, bro. I don't want to judge you, but yeah. you're going to grow out of that hopefully. And you'll find out there's a different person on the other side of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's the same. I wouldn't hire my 34 year old self either. And that was only four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but having that perspective that you have and, and knowing that, that, that the man that you were in at that point in your life. Mm -hmm for whatever reason that you deem wouldn't be proper for you now, or probably close to that age. Um, and when I'll tell you what, I turn away more people than I accept to work with when it comes to coaching, um, you know, to lightly touch on the subject, I only allocate 10% of my, of my week to coaching other people because mm -hmm. I, I have companies like shit needs to get handled. But the point is, and, and what the, what it is, is either I can help you or I can't. And if yeah. I can't help someone, I'm not going to take your money. Why would I take your money? I'll refer you to someone who can help you. For instance, if someone says, Hey, Chris, like I want, um, you know, help with mindset leadership and raising a family. And I'd be like, well, uh, dude, I don't have a family. So, and I'm not married. So I, I'm not the, the right person for you, but a coach should have that type of awareness that yeah. they are not the best fit for the person. And there's plenty of bread on the table for us all. So connecting them to the right person, in my, in my opinion, is more important, but uh, we're not here to well, talk about it. You and I think that way because it's ethical and it's doing the right thing, but some people yeah. will just say yes to everything. And I mean, we see, we see these examples, especially in some of the groups we run in where people are always trying to answer questions they've never solved before. Yep. You know, they're trying to position themselves as an expert where if you have humility and go, Hey, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find that for you. Yep. People will actually gain more respect for people who admit when they don't know something and that they're yes. willing to go do the work. than people just act like they have all the answers because you know, I made a post, I guess maybe two or three weeks ago, it kind of ruffled some feathers. Like I always do. I said, next time you see a guru on a webinar or a live stream talking about wealth and success, ask them to grab their phone and take you on a tour through their home. And yeah, man, so many people got offended by that. And, and I, I know that. why, because the people that are getting offended by that on Facebook or Instagram were the version of me when I was in my twenties and thirties, where 
I had money, but I didn't have all the proof and I didn't have all the things. So I would make up these excuses to try to convince you that I was in the right spot. Like you would see people going, well, not all the rich people have big houses and not all the rich people have fancy cars. And I said, that's not what I said. Did you read the post? I said, next time you see a guru live streaming on the internet, talking about wealth and prosperity, very specific segment of people, but these people that felt some kind of insecurities about not having the money, not having the house, not having the things that they desire, felt that they had to chime in and defend that, hey, there's some rich people that don't show that. Those aren't the people I was talking about. See, they they get triggered by things that are in their insecurities, not by the actual context of what I wrote. And people like you, people like me, we're very specific about every word that we write. We're very specific. We create copy, we create a post. You can bet your ass every single word in that post has been thought about and it's there for a specific reason. So should you choose to skip the context and get offended by some little segment of that post? That's on you. And it's really highlighting your dark side, your insecurities and things that you probably need to work on. And that just comes back to emotional control That's and right. emotional intelligence. Completely. Right? And, and, and here's the thing, guys like you and I, we're not going to light someone up either when we see them get triggered. We're going to be like, you know what? I could see your perspective. However, I think you missed the point to the post. And, yeah. I, you know, because, you know, you ruffle feathers, I ruffle feathers. That's what we do. That's arguably part of our job as consultants. Yes. We need to it's tell awareness. you. Yeah. We need to tell you what you can't see. Yeah. But on the internet, you know, people are all shitty about whatever because they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. Every single word is thought about. And as authors and as people that produce content and try to hold doors open for others, every single word is important. Every um, word. I was talking to a, uh, a guy, he runs a multi-billion dollar company. He's younger than me. He's in his early 30s. It's a card processing company. And he gets pitched all the time you know, by these gurus. He gets pitched all the time. And I was listening to his response. I think you'll appreciate this. I was asking him, I was was like, well, what do you do? He goes, well, Chris, let me tell you what I do, okay? If I feel like trolling someone, I say, I'll listen to you. Send me a screenshot of your bank account. Give give me your address and let me see your garage. Yeah. (laughs) I I never thought of responding like that, but it's true. Yeah. I'm sure you get pitched all the time, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Anytime you're present on social media, you're just getting, I mean, I get pitched for people that tell me I should start a podcast or write a book. I'm like, bro, you didn't do your research very well. (laughs) Yeah. 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 For real. Uh, LinkedIn's the worst for me. I mean, they just trash. I can't even look at the inbox, man. That is the biggest dumpster fire of just pitch, pitch, pitch. And I kind of feel sorry for those people. I almost want to come out with a course on how to do things better for those people and just start responding back to them. Yeah, because you've done that, right? You've built courses, right? I've built courses before. I mean, it's, um, I think the value of courses has definitely gone down in the last five years because people value instant contact or being in proximity of people. They want high value, high touch. So the low dollar stuff, running a bunch of ads, trying to sell things and become a multimillionaire. Now it's just, that's an old game. And you see a lot of the marketers having to shift and do different things because it ain't working for them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I've built, uh, six, six e-courses and, uh, I've noticed the, the similarities as well, Mm. but, um, you know, I think, uh, fundamentally, uh, 
my an, an e course of mine uh, was probably one of the best things that happened for me and my personal brand, which I really want to talk to you about personal branding, uh, because it I I turned it into my first book, and mm -hmm. you you being an author as well, like everything that, or most things or some things that were in your book were likely things that you had been teaching for a period of time prior. Do you find that connection between that knowledge going into your book and really accelerating your personal brand? Yeah, absolutely. I think that everybody's got a book in their mind mm -hmm. and mine was in my mind for probably five years. Mm -hmm. And the book is usually stemmed around something that people continuously ask you advice for because they've yep. thinking that you've got the results or they feel that you're you're demonstrating your authority in that niche or that subject. So pay attention to that. Whatever your career is doesn't really even matter. If you're, let's say like you talked to me before we fired this up, we talked about snowboarding and skateboarding. Well, maybe yeah. you're a badass snowboarding, but you're a lawyer. Like yeah. maybe the book has nothing to do with your lawyer career but maybe you're a really badass snowboarder and that's the thing that you should be writing, right? So pay attention to things that people are always asking you advice on, regardless if it's your career, not your profession. And I said, you know what? I've built some really successful businesses, especially side businesses, which are really time constrained and understanding processes, systems, walking people through how to start up things. So I wrote the book Side Hustle Millionaire is really to how to take the ideas that everybody brags and pats themselves on the back for having ideas like oh, i got an idea someday i'm gonna do this and someday i'm gonna start a business and be like fuck off man until you do something it doesn't matter <laughs> go fucking so, do it <laughs> i mean i'm working in corporate you can imagine the inundated type inquiries that i would have people would see my lifestyle get a little glimpse of that and go hey what do you do and i try to tell them that and they would just nod their head that's that's a great idea i'm gonna do that someday and i, I see these people there it's been 20 years they're still in the same fucking situation they were in they don't do anything with the information so I said, there's a lot of people out there that just kind of need the hand-holding guide. So I literally go through the process of identifying your ideas, weighing those against each other to find out which one idea is going to get you the best odds of success, <laughs> the way you define success, yes. using actual numbers. Imagine that, right? Holy shit. Talk about LLC versus <laughs> S Corp, how to do funding, what marketing, what kind of website things are we looking at? So it's really a roadmap to go from zero to seven figures. Mm. And the book's done exceptionally well. I mean, it hit number one on Amazon in the small business category. It got Hell to number yeah. 11 on all personal development books and yeah. sold thousands of copies ever since. And that book really launched my entire career and my personal brand and everything that I'm building nowadays. And although I don't really focus as much on the startup, the beginner type stuff, most of my clients nowadays are seven and eight figure business owners. Mm -hmm. It's still there. It's still out there on Google space, hundreds of interviews, a lot of content out there for that. And I'm glad I did that because when you're writing a book, you still have a lot of head trash. You have a lot of self-doubt. You have a lot of things. Oh, yeah. like, Why would people buy this for me in that kind of yeah. situation? And so you still have to put it out there. You just got to do it your best. Don't half-ass it. Put it out there and see what the result is. And then mine did really well. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned from that entire process is that a book will actually unlock hidden doors that you didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. Like We always think about keys to doors, but that book opened up so many avenues and networking mm -hmm. and authority that authority. I didn't even expect that kind of result. I knew some of the tangibles that we would receive, but... A lot of the networks and opportunities to speak at different events and different types of clients and different types of shows and different type of networks, like, holy crap, that book had some legs to it. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. And I want to ask you how it kind of pushed into your personal brand. But before I do that, let me ask you a question. Did you, in the writing or launching process, which is a hugely time-consuming thing, did you ever hate the book? Did I ever hate the book? Yeah. Did you ever like hate it? You're like, you know what? I just fucking hate this project at this point. No, I never did. I, I always saw it as a labor of love and I enjoyed it. And Back then, I was actually still drinking alcohol when I wrote it. And I said, you know what? The best way to write a book is to have a friendly conversation, just like you and I are friends and we've mm. actually had a meal together, right? Mm -hmm. If you can write a book from that perspective, even if you have authority in that subject, that's going to yeah. be better received than trying to be an authoritarian and speak down to people and like, I'm super awesome and you're not, and here's why you're not awesome. And so- a lot of the feedback I got from that book was, man, it felt like you were just talking to me and like we're having beers. And I was like, well, you know why? And I said, because when I wrote some of those chapters, I actually poured a pint of of beer and I sipped on it while I was writing it because I wanted to be in that flow state like I was sitting yeah. at a pub with you having a yeah. conversation. And, you know, so I did that for several of the chapters and people really picked up on that vibe. Do you, do you, that's, that's amazing. Do you, uh, run into this, uh, situation where when people meet you in person, they're like, Tony, you, you, you you're exactly the same. When I listen yeah. to your podcast and read your book and read your social medias, do you, do you get that kind of feedback? Yeah. And that's one of the best compliments it's, you'll ever yeah. receive. Oh yeah. That is one of the best compliments you'll ever receive. Authenticity. And, and, uh, you know, you and I have met some pretty big names out there. Oh yeah. We're not going to throw people under the bus, but some of the people you guys follow and you idolize and you think oh, are yeah. the greatest shit are pieces of shit behind closed doors. And I share the stage with some of these people and you get them in the back rooms and they're they're not talking about how they're helping people. They're talking about, you see how many people I closed? You see how many people bought my program? You see how many people ran shit. to the back of the room and got my offer? Oh my God, fuck, I made all kinds of money. Like They're really just focused on the financial shit. And I wish you could see the truth behind some of these, but you know, the thing is, is when you know these things about people, you start looking back on their content and what they do and who the people they run with, you see evidence of that shit. It's out there in plain view, but most people just choose to deny it. You, you, this weekend I was sitting in Vermont with a buddy of mine and he was talking about that exact situation with someone who's in some hot water that's big in the personal development industry for fraud. And like you hear about these things and you connect all the dots. It's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I get it. Like we all have to pay the bills, but what are we here for? Are we here to actually try to help people? Yeah. Or are we here to sit here and be like, I did a 90% close on my pitch from the stage, which you should never pitch from the front of the stage anyways. No. But I mean, like there's one thing to be like, Hey, listen, you guys want to follow me on socials or if you want my book, whatever, go yeah. see my team in the back. But that's not the point. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the coolest compliments that, um, I started to get in the past couple of years. And, and I knew you were going to say the same thing as well. And how much has your personal brands, I don't want to say taken off, but how much have you been able to build because of the things that you've put in place prior, like building a multi seven figure company, or eight-figure company uh, on the side, selling it, writing a book, publishing it, hitting all these marks, and then building an extremely successful podcast. And look at us. I didn't. We didn't plan this. We're wearing the same outfit. Just I have pit stains, and it's different. <laughs> it's different logos. You gotta wear black shirts, man. They hide the <laughs> yeah. pit stains better. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Man. You just wear to, black. Navy you know, blue I've, or black. There you go. Yeah. You know. You know. But like, how much? I get heated. 
You know, like when we do these yeah. sorts of things, like I'm locked in just like you're locked in and oh, yeah, I'm dude. heated and I'm passionate. I want to know. And like, how much has this helped your personal brand doing all these things? You know, the thing is about personal brand is that it evolves, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to reinvent yourself. I think a lot of times people hold on to their old identity. Maybe you're an athlete in college or high school and you're yeah. holding on to that old identity and you all in high school and you're talking about that touchdown you threw in, you know, 1985, right? Cool. You were 18, so, bro. <laughs> like, like get rid of your old identities if they don't serve where you're headed, right? So for example, me being a car guy, drag racer, road racer, those are hobbies, but many, many people in that industry build their identity around that. Like it's really one dimensional mm -hmm. and you have to ask yourself, Hey, do I want to stand on stages? Do I want to serve millions of people? Do I want to make an impact in this world? Do I want to create a legacy? Yeah. Well, does me be just going to, Hey, I'm a car guy. I'm a drag racer or people that use that false humility. Well, I'm not, I'm not really a smart guy. I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, a, a tool guy, you know, like that's some bullshit. Like Define where you want to go in life, define the impact that you want to create in life, start to visualize what that version of you looks like, and don't do it by copying what other people are out there in the top of the industry, because everybody's got their own style. And yeah. I'll tell you, when I was working in corporate, I would dress nicer because that was kind of the thing. I was on the executive path, I'd wear ties or blazers. And when I got into the business coaching, it kind of spilled over because I was already dressing like that and I had the wardrobe. And yeah. I see these other people wearing the, the suit jackets and things like that. And about a year into it, I was like, you know what? Fuck that. <laughs> like, this is freedom and I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to wear that shit anymore. I actually wanted to be myself. And that's Chuck Taylor's and comfortable clothes and my t-shirt that I sport my own brand. I'm not out there repping other people's brands. I wear yeah. my own brand, Hell right? Yeah. And so you always have your stuff on, always wear your brand. Always. You know, that was actually a Grant Cardone lesson. Yeah. I'll share that one too, because this was yeah. a good takeaway from one of his 10X growth cons. I think it was 2018 in Vegas. There was a guy sitting in the front row at the 10X Growth Con, and he had this fancy belt buckle, probably a Hermes, the H belt buckle. I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, it was yeah. like one of those, like Louis Vuitton like, or something. It's like a $1,000 belt you know, those, buckle. These douchebags always like tuck their t-shirt in behind yeah. it. So you could see but it. It's like all hanging out, but it's tucked <laughs> in and just behind the belt buckle so you can see the belt buckle. And so Grant's on the stage and he's like, bro, first row VIP. And the guy's like, Yeah. I saw that watch. I see that belt buckle, man. He goes, stand up, dude. Let's show these people what you're wearing. And the guy's all proud. He's like, you know, he's flexing his watch and his belt buckle. And, and Grant's like, how much does that belt cost you? And the guy's like a thousand dollars, like damn thousand dollars. Damn. That's amazing, dude. And Grant pulls up his shirt that was untucked and he had a 10 X belt buckle, the logo mm -hmm. that was Ruby and diamond encrusted. Ooh. And he was showing and he goes, that's amateur shit. When you start to rep your own brand and it's a tax deductible write-off, then you're in the big boy league and, and everybody's like, damn. That's that billionaire shit. That's it, dude. Rep your own brands. Quit fucking repping everybody else's brands. Go go design a logo. Go have some t-shirts made. Have some hats made. It's not that hard, right? Yeah. And so personal brand is who you are. I want, like you said, if you're the same in person, I love that. And you are, because I've seen your content. We have met in person. You're exactly the same in person. It's so much easier, dude. Yeah. You don't have to carry a liar's handbook around to keep track of all the lies that you told and yeah. who, who told what and this and that. So dude, just be yourself, be comfortable, but don't try to blend in it or just copy what other people do. Just really ask yourself, what does that version of you look like in three to five years? Your fitness, your confidence, the way you walk, the way you communicate, your eye contact, all the things that you know you need to improve and invest in yeah. and go do that kind of stuff. Just become that. And, and it may change and that's okay. 
And five years from now, maybe fucking having a mohawk and fucking walking around in red leather. Who fucking knows? We just don't know. We I have can't no do idea. the mohawk, bro. You could you could tape one on. You could definitely tape one on. <laughs> it's just painted on. There you go. Just paint a tattooed <laughs> mohawk. That you see, you could start a trend. I'm gonna go yeah. tattoo a mohawk on there. Get my brand tattooed up there. You know, yeah. you you thank you for that compliment and vice versa. Um, you said something quite intriguing. Um, you said, you know, get a vision in your head and and make sure it's not someone else's. You know, I would I would piggyback on that. I would say fucking work on that vision fucking daily. Yeah. I, I'm very, you know, like everyone knows that listens to me. I preach visualization, right? I even write about it, but I work on that vision daily, man whether it's in the shower, whether it's right here in this chair, whether it's in the hot tub, whether it's at the fucking gym, I don't know about you, but I mean, I know we're going to talk about fitness here in a minute, but I get a lot of good visions and ideas when I'm working out. And I'm Dude, preach. Right. I think we talked about yeah. that in Nashville, like yeah. to me, the gym and anything around water, like you said, yes, the shower, exactly. Any, anywhere around water, or at the gym when you're, or you're doing something really physical, mm -hmm. it doesn't take a lot of brain activity. And you kind of clear, yeah. you're being physical, but your brain is kind of clear. And you're like, like yep. I just came up with a content idea or here's the next it, book or. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's important because you, you have a really strong personal brand. I have a solid personal brand. And, uh, and I think, I think having the vision of, of, of where you want to go and, and what you're trying to do. And as long as it's pure, just like you said, you don't have to have like a book of lies that you have to like keep track of. As long as it's pure and, and you have the vision and you work on it, it's going to, it's going to come to life. It's going to manifest eventually. Yeah. The key is you got to put the fucking work in. You will, become it. you will become it. You will become. Yeah. You will become. And it's and, impossible not to become who you visualize. Yeah. As long as you start operating and making decisions like that better version of yourself. And it's, it blows people's mind to think about that, but you and I, I guarantee we think about ourselves in the future and we Every think day. about, like you said, what do we want our relationships to look like? What do we want our finances to look like? What do we want our fitness to look like? Where do we want to live? What do we want to drive? We start to visualize things three years because that's going to go pretty quick. And if you could make the decisions today that will lead you closer to that direction instead of away, because every decision we make, whether that's the food on the end of your fork or the person that you didn't follow up and call back or the people that you were supposed to go meet or not keeping promises yourself or skipping the gym that day, every single decision, even down to the basic decisions, one way is going to lead you closer to that version that you visualize. The other one's going to go away from it. So you should do not be perfect. We're not being perfect here, but let's say 95% of the decisions you make lead that right direction. It is literally impossible not to become that better version of yourself. And, and that's the key. You have to put the work in, right? Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to manifest it. Yeah. Motherfucker. You got to put the work in every, every single, every, every single day. day. And let's, let's just be real for a second. Okay. And I've said this before, I've been working out for almost 27 years now, right? 20, I'm fucking 38 years old, right? Started when I was a kid, right? Anyways, the point is 50, 60, maybe 70% of the time, seven days a week, I go to the gym. I'm not on 75 hard. I just stretch, foam roll, cardio, weights, whatever. The point is, whatever the percentage is, I don't feel like being there. I don't. I carry, I carry plenty of fucking muscle, plenty, but I don't feel like being there. I don't want to always serve myself chicken, rice, avocado, and vegetables. <laughs> however, however, I know my body digests it. 
I know that when I'm in top physical form, this performs better. Absolutely. This performs better. My business grows faster. My relationships builds because I feel good. And someone like you, you're a deadlifting, you're a deadlifting motherfucker. I know you're in the gym regularly. Do you, do you agree that forging that habit of discipline within fitness, whether it's in the gym or not, is critical to developing a life that you want to live that you were just talking about? Yeah, to me, you are not a high performer unless you're a high performance individual. And that's on a personal level. I think that many people lie to themselves, especially men, because I'm talking to you guys right now. Yeah. I think that preach. once you get the financial checkbox figured out that you've got it made, and that's the majority of men, and they walk around with bitch titties and a belly sticking out and wonder why like they don't feel good when they're taking the shirt off at the beach or at the pool, or they skip pool party invitations because they don't feel like they're ready for that. There are a lot of insecurities. Yeah. We all have that. Everybody, yeah. even fit guys have insecurities oh, around their body. Absolutely. Right? So absolutely. That's normal. But the thing is, is we lie to ourselves. Like when we're out of shape and we're, you'll be like, oh, you know, I'm 40 pounds overweight and I'm large and in charge and shit like that, dude, whatever level of confidence you think you have because you're faking it, whatever you have, and you're not where you want to be physically, it will become amplified when you are physically fit. And I'll tell you, if you're in twenties and you're out of shape, like that's pretty bad because you should be pretty fit in your twenties. Like that's normal, pretty common thirties, probably 50% of the people should be in shape. Like that's kind of what we see in general public when you're walking around. Now, if you're in your forties and you're physically fit, you're kind of an oddity. Like that's mm -hmm. not, un that's very unusual to see a man in their forties that's fit. So you want some fucking dominance when you enter a room, be a man that's in your forties, that's actually fit, right? 50s, I just turned 50, so I don't have a lot of experience in this decade, but it's really fucking unicorn level when you're 50 year old and you actually can lift heavy and do these things. And so when I enter a room and people see the gray beard and they see me fit, that's a persona that I've created over several years. And, you know, talk about deadlifts. I used to hate deadlifts, man. I really started focusing on those about four or five years ago mm. and I avoided them. I did the squats and the leg rack and all these leg extensions mm. and the machines and Man, I hated deadlifts when I first got it started because they would make me super dizzy and I felt like I was going to pass out. Yeah. And that was back when I was probably repping like 225, right? Yeah. And it's like, fuck, dude, I'm about to pass the fuck out. Like, this is rough. Like, I don't know if I like this. And probably the first two, two or three times I dabbled in it, I was ready to like, I'm not going to do those anymore. That's fucking hard. But then I said, you know what? I'm going to see how many times I can do this to where I get used to it. Cause everybody kept saying that your body gets used to that internal pressure. Cause it's a fuck ton of pressure with all yeah, yeah. a lot of, it's a full body lift. And so here's the weird thing about that. If you start doing that twice a week, every fourth day, I would do that. And wow. probably about a month, month and a half, not that long. My body started to get used to the weight I was lifting. So mm -hmm. I had to go through that month, month and a half conditioning where yeah. Your body's like, okay, here we are again. This is comfortable. Like we understand this, what we're doing now, like let's get to work. Yeah. And it just progressed. And the first year will probably be progressing the most for people. Cause you kind of catch up to where your physical size is. Sure. So I think I got to like 315 or something in a year that man, to get to 405, which is four plates on each side, that took like another year and a half. Like it, it's harder, the heavier it is, obviously it takes longer. And then to get to 500 plus, it took me maybe another two years on top of that. So very fast acceleration first year. Then you got these two and a half, you know, two year, year and a half and two year in between to get the plates. And so I'll keep going and see how far I go. I'm not trying to be like a 
major power lifter, but I'm just always pushing my body to see what I can do. So I think I can get 600. I think I can get that. You Now you're, you're at 500 right now, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm 510 was the last I lifted and you know, I weigh 187 pounds and yeah, I'm 510. I'm at 511, 510. <laughs> Depends on what day it is. 510, yeah. 511. <laughs> Whatever shoes I'm wearing. I'm 510 in my Converse. <laughs> Six foot with some, with some winter Six boots foot on with my fucking cowboy boots on. <laughs> we see you guys wearing cowboy boots for a reason. We know what you're doing. Yeah, we, we know, know what, what you're doing, doing bro. So, okay. So you, I agree 100%. And, um, you know, I, I've been deadlifting for fucking whatever, 20 plus years. So it's, you know, a little bit different for me. Um, but I will tell you, they, they fucking suck at first. That's for sure. And <laughs> dude, fucking, dude, they suck. Well, they're so much worse than squats or bench yeah. press or anything. It's, is it looks easy when you're good at it. It really does look easy. When you watch a video of someone doing it, you're like, Oh, I could do that. Yeah. And then you're sore as shit Fucking for like humbling, man. the two, three, four days afterwards. Uh, so let me ask you over your career, uh, being into fitness and, and, and doing very well in business and so on and so forth. Were there any periods where maybe you weren't in good shape or in as good of shape? And did you see the byproduct of that with your family? Maybe. I'm not saying talk about your problems. I'm just saying maybe yeah. some problems in the family, maybe some problems in the business, maybe some problems internally. Was there any correlation to that? Yeah, absolutely, dude. That was me between 35 and 39. Ah, because I had just sold the company at 34, so I had millions in the bank. You, were, and you got rich. Got rich, got lazy, got yeah. comfortable. Yeah. Was buying shit, eating fancy shit, traveling the world, couldn't not have the cool food in all these different countries and things like that. And so I kind of, and I also had aches and pains from, you know, playing football and martial arts and things like that. And I use those as a convenient excuse because we all have them. Oh, yeah. And I was, at the time I was also hanging around with some good high net worth people of that age group, but they were also out of shape and kind of lethargic and made the excuses like, Oh, we don't heal like we used to. And Oh, that old football injury, this and that, like whatever fucking excuses we can come up with. Right. It's real convenient. Yeah. And when you hang around with people that make excuses, you kind of volley them back and forth like you're playing tennis. Like, yeah. here's my excuse. Oh, cool. I got the same excuse. Let me hit it back over that. Oh, that's a cool excuse too. Like, let me hit you my new excuse. Like, oh, cool. So there's no one ever calling you out on your shit because you don't have a coach. You don't have a, you know, someone to talk to that's be like, that's some bullshit, dude. Like you do have time and you're just being fucking lazy. Right. And so I, here's the weird thing about that. Okay, guys, uh, some of you are going to relate to this. Maybe you were an athlete or you were physically in a better place earlier at some point in your life. And the thing is that we don't ever feel like we internally, we don't ever feel like we're changed, right? A lot of you superstar high school athletes still feel like that same person inside your mind because of experience. You did the reps back then. You feel like you're a, kind of sometimes like a child or things like you, you still remember the versions of yourself. So you never outgrow that, but the reality is when you fucking walk in the bathroom and you see the mirror. And so there's this dichotomy of, I feel like an athlete, but I'm looking at a fucking lazy slob. And that, and it's hard, dude. It's hard to admit that. So what do you do? You buy baggier clothes and you try to hide your body or you just, like I said, avoid the pool parties and the beach and you just hope nobody notices it. But then you come across like someone that's known you for several years and they hadn't seen you in a few months and they they see you and their eyes get big and they know you're fat. Like we see ourselves every day and incrementally we just get fatter and fatter and fatter. So we don't really notice the difference. But when you see someone that hasn't seen you in a month or months, 
And they go, bro, like you got big, man, what's going on with that? And you're like, fuck. Then you realize like the reality slap, right? So the hard part to go back to the gym, to get back in shape is really hard because I think of it like a number scale. Okay. Let's say that if you're an average dude, average woman, and you know, you eat okay and you work out a, once in a while, you're, you're kind of at zero. Let's call that the baseline human, right? You're not overweight. You're not ripped or anything. You're at zero. Yeah. You're like normal. Yeah. You're normal. You're average. You're at the scale, right? Mm -hmm. When you're overweight or you're weak, you're negative. You're in the negative region of that scale. And when you're positive, you're eating healthier, you're exercising more, you look good, you're positive side of the scale. So the real difficult thing for most people, especially if they've been in shape earlier in their lives is they go, man, I'm a fucking negative and I got to get back to zero. And it's going to be a lot of fucking work and a lot of months just to get to zero. That doesn't even sound like interesting. Like, fuck, I got to go eat healthy and work out at least three days a week. And just to get the fucking average, Shit. just to Shit. get the fucking average, like, <laughs> like, like all this work to get to zero. That doesn't sound, but that's the kind of shit that I would think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people think about. Mm -hmm. And so they go, oh, you know, I'm just large and in charge. I'm confident. And I got money. Mm -hmm. They just say shit like that. They convince themselves they don't need to be in shape. Right. Mm -hmm. But bro, if, if you can just put away your ego mm -hmm. and realize that your health does matter, whatever confidence you think you have now will become amplified. Yeah. You will get more opportunities in life, whether that's the opposite sex or the same sex, if that's what you're into, like a lot of different things show up in your life when you show that your standards are higher, you know, because our person or body is the only thing that showcases our true standards and our true discipline in our lives. It's the only thing. Well said. It's so important to me. Well, first, before I talk about the importance and one of our core values is a uh, healthy lifestyle. So I hire and fire by it. But anyways, um, 31, 31, 32, I was in that place. I, I owned gyms and I was overweight. I was like in bad shit. Not you. You were in bulking season. Man. I was in. Was I was like in forever oh God, bulking season. I've had, you know what I've, I mean? been, for, I've got friends who have been bulking season for yeah. ten years, dude. Yeah, I'm like 20, 25, maybe thirty pounds overweight, and I'm supposed to be the leader of this this facility, right? And all my trainers look great, but then like there's the there's the owner with a dad bod. It's like nah, it's that that can't fly. But I was doing the same shit. I was traveling, I was eating, da, 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 da. and the interesting part about it is you can see the reflection in your numbers, and you can see the reflection in the quality of your relationships. Yeah. Uh, so since then, and that was uh, you know better part of a decade ago. But the point that I'm getting at is since then, I believe so firmly in everything that you just said that I've put in place a core value in my companies. I won't hire you if you're overweight. I Dude, won't. Your friends will change too. If oh, you yeah. have fat friends oh yeah, and you start to get in shape, they're going to start saying things like, why are you doing that? We like you the way you are. Like, oh, we don't come hang out with us. Come, come eat some fucking crawfish and wings. And they're trying to fatten you up again because they feel uncomfortable watching you improve. And if you mm -hmm. allow them to do that, they're going to keep dragging you back into that same box with them. And, as you start to improve and become more physically fit, you're going to start to make them feel envy. They're going to feel jealousy. They're going to be insecure about themselves. And so they're going to stop inviting you to come around anymore. And that's okay because, you know, trash takes itself out once in a while. And that's a good thing, but <laughs> just realize that it's going to happen. It's, it's, just, it is literally going to happen. You're just a walking you trigger. <laughs> you can't avoid it. You, you cannot avoid it.
you know? And not only that, I don't know if you would agree with something like this, and I should frame it correctly so it doesn't sound too terrible. Listen, if you're listening and you're overweight right now, but you're doing something about it, right? You're, 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 you're doing something about it, right? Like you're on it. Like you're not perfect, but you're on it. I respect that. Hell yeah. However, the person that's overweight and not doing anything about it, I won't even do business with them. I won't because I know they're fucking lazy. I know they're generally probably lazy. Now, dude, we're all lazy. We're all lazy. Okay. You're lazy. I'm lazy, but we're not lazy for 45 minutes a day. And that's the point. And that's, (laughs) and that's right. Like, that's the point. Like I'm lazy at the end of the day. Like I want to unwind a little bit. Okay. Yeah. However, I can allocate two hours a day to walk my dog for an hour and go go to the gym for an hour. I don't think you have to be in the best shape in the world to do business with me. However, if you're just a slob, like I won't even consider doing business with you. Dude, dude. When I see, you know, we, we, you and I see these different success and business coaches out there and they're overweight. It's like, bro, like you're a walking business card of your discipline and your standards. And people don't want to hear that. And it's like, I was pretty honest with it with myself when I was in that situation, when I was overweight and lazy and weak, like that was my standards. I accepted that. I had to do something about that. And people just want to be like, well, you know, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could. Like everything gets judged. You know, they'll say, they'll quote the Bible. Oh, the Bible says you shouldn't. Yeah, the Bible actually says you should judge people, but you should also be willing to be judged the same way. Yeah. So it does like, there's plenty of judgment. You go to church, you're getting judged. Everything's about judgment. People do look at book covers. People do look at how we dress. People do look at our fitness. Like you, you select the the people in your relationships because you're attracted to them initially. Like there's reasons that we get judged and you can't avoid that. And no matter of happy, happy, joy, joy, fucking motivational memes that are not going to change the reality. Yeah, it's extraordinarily well said. And and I'm happy that you put that perspective on it. Um, you know, as you know, this is this is a fantastic conversation. I kind of want to get a little vulnerable if that's okay with you. Um Let's rock. before we before we cap out here. But um, you know, i I read, you know, when you were filling out my podcast intake, I read that uh your biggest mistake that you would go and change was 365 driven. Um, I didn't know if that was a mistake that you wrote in there. Maybe that was a mistake. I didn't remember writing that part. No, I, I have zero regrets about that. I didn't, you know, cause like, cause like guys, what I'm talking about is like, you have an intake to come on someone's podcast. And mm-hmm. one of the questions that I say is like, uh, what, what's the, one of the biggest mistakes of your career? And I saw you write that and I figured, I think maybe this, I read it wrong. Yeah. I think <laughs> this is a mistake actually. <laughs> So, and, and I'm happy that you, that we clarified that. So let you're, so let's say you're, you're going back to a fucking Tony mm-hmm. side hustle, making half, half, uh, multi six figures, mid six figures on the side, mm-hmm. right? You know what you know now. All right. Go back to that, Tony. Talk, talk him through some really monumental mistakes or a mistake you know, that you could give perspective on, like, you don't have to necessarily tell me the biggest mistake. I'm just no, saying. I'd say that the, the biggest, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I would say a missed opportunity, right? Because we're all going to make mistakes. That's yeah. Well, but yeah. Yeah. What I could have done better. Yeah. I built these companies 
really hiding behind the spotlight and hiding behind a logo. A lot of you are going to relate to this. You build a company, you hide behind the logo because you're insecurities and you know, you don't want to put yourself out there. You tell yourself bullshit like, Oh, I'm trying to keep my life private and like whatever. And I've, I've had all the excuses too. So at age 18, even going back that far, I wish I would have joined Toastmasters uh, and learned how to become a more effective communicator, public speaking style, leadership things. I would have, I wish I would have invested in communication skills earlier in my life because that would have not only benefited me from the dating scene, the corporate career scene, the entrepreneurship scene, it also given me more confidence to put myself out there. I mean, you know, there's the things that, yeah, we don't like the way we look. We don't like the way we sound. And we kind of stage fright once in a while. Like I had all that shit. And when people was like, oh, you should write this book and you should put yourself out. You should do some videos, man. I was like, dude, I don't, I don't need to do that. That's the way I would justify. I don't need to do that. I made a very successful life and I've got a family and I've got a career and I've got businesses. And so it was like, I'm, I'm comfortable is what that was really saying. It was really bullshit excuses because. Which is dangerous. It's bullshit excuses, dude. So I wish I would have done that earlier on. I started doing that in my mid forties. When I was writing the book, I joined Toastmasters just in case people wanted to interview me. I just want to be prepared. Again, I was being prepared. And so that led to me speaking and competing in public speaking competitions and winning those kind of things and yeah. becoming the president of that club and just going all in. Cause I don't half-ass anything that I get into. So I just decide, Hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to learn. I'm going to take the notes. I'm going to participate, not just sit in the back of the room and be a shadow, right? I'm going to do things. And so I didn't understand anything about public speaking. This is a big one. Okay. Cause a lot of you out there listening, want to do content creation. You want to be on stages and I love all that. Right. Preach. But, but you haven't invested in the skills. And if you just didn't like me incorporate, and I've done thousands of slideshows and, you know, pitches for companies, that is not public speaking. That's the occasional courage to stand in front of people and saying something, but that's not public speaking. Presentation. So most of us in that corporate space, we kind of think that we're public speakers because we can do that. The, the slideshows and occasional presentations or lead the team, rah, 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 had 75 people, right? It's all bullshit. It's excuses because unless you've had specific training in public speaking, whether through an organization like Toastmasters or hiring a public speaking coach, that's a better option for accelerated results, then you don't know shit about public speaking. I hate to tell you, like your ego is telling you you're good at it, but you're probably not good at it at all. Yeah. And what does this matter? Okay. So mm -hmm. when we take public speaking training, specific training to that, you learn a lot of tactics and strategies, which you didn't even know existed. You learn how to use vocal inflection, vocal range, volume control, stage presence, eye contact, crowd work, a lot of different things that are tactical that help you become more influential to get your message across and to be more interesting and more entertaining to listeners. So if you haven't had that specific training, you don't know shit about public speaking. So put aside your ego, go invest in a speaking coach, go join a Toastmasters at the very least and do the reps, do the work, do it for years, study the greats, start to figure out what they do, hire mentors that can teach you things that, that you're not aware of how, how to improve. And I wish I would have done that earlier, dude. I, I think I skipped out on 20 years of acceleration by not having that skill set earlier on. I couldn't agree more. And, and to put it, to put it into like live example, last year was my first year. I started that at year 14, right? Went to a speaker's school, ended up winning, 
only from the sheer fact that I had however many, a hundred speeches under my belt. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Right. And I got ripped apart by the coach. Of course. And that's how it should have been. You should. You should. And I, I didn't know I had S's like, like hard S's. Enunciation. Yeah. So I had to hire him to coach it out of me. I mean, it's not completely (laughs) out, but I'm aware of it. Going off what you said, hiring a public speaking coach now, and now let's come full circle. Uh, Three weeks from now, myself, my number two and my number three are all going back out and I'm making them learn how to fucking speak. They want to, but the point is it's such an underrated skill. And like, I wouldn't say unheard of, but I get asked all the time, Chris, can I come on your show? Yeah, sure. Tell me about your speaking. No, nothing. Okay. So you want me to just put you on the show so oh, I can bro. expose you to everybody? Bro. I know, like, I know you're going to go off entertaining. on me. Yeah. Hopefully we're entertaining you listeners right now, but you still have to be an entertainer. A still little, yeah, it's something you have to have some reps, right? So Toastmasters, public speaking, a coach, anything. If you're an entrepreneur, um, and even if you have limited resources, right? Uh, Toastmasters, Dude, Toastmasters not- is cheap. It's $90 for a year. Yeah, exactly. A year. It's a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. And now public speaking. Now, would you also say that earlier in your career investing in or reading more on psychology would have helped too? For sure, dude. For sure. I actually used to laugh about psychology degrees and psychology because I worked in restaurants, man. And that was another reason I thought I didn't need public speaking because I was a waiter for several years and I talked to strangers all the time (laughs) and made a living off that. So I was really confident in front of strangers, like big deal, right? That's not still not tactical, right? Mm -hmm. We don't learn how to sell. We learn how to upsell, learn how to read people, but those aren't public speaking skills. And so the... What was I'm trying to think of the point I was trying to make there? I lost myself there. Oh, you were talking about you thought that we were talking about psychology, but you yeah, psychology. That. Okay, yeah. so I hired a lot of waiters. I eventually became manager of that restaurant. Uh huh. I hired a lot of waiters that had master's degrees in psychology and bachelor's uh-huh. degrees in psychology. So I, in my early twenties, I used to think that's pretty fucking lame. Like I'm going for engineering school, and these people are getting master's degrees, and they still have to wait tables. Like that sucks. Like this is a p- pretty shitty degree to get, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't really value it. I just thought it was kind of a joke, and maybe yeah. some people can relate to hearing that, but. As we get into leadership and managing people and get into content creation and doing things involving more people, we start to realize that that is a huge, valuable skill that massive people underestimate. They underestimate yeah. mindset, psychology. And if you need some stats here, if you look at the Fortune top 100 organizations, the big, big companies, they did a personality assessment of the CEOs. And what they found is that 85% of those CEOs of the top 100 companies had a higher emotional quotient than an intelligence quotient. So they're higher on EQ than they are on IQ. Which is what we talked about earlier. And so you and I know that there's a whole lot of brainiac PhD type people who are very analytical that are fucking broke. Like they're still working for someone. They haven't even crossed six figures in some instances. And they're wondering why they're not rich because they're super smart and everybody told them they were a genius and they got the best grades, but they fucking didn't know how to do managing people. So if you want to be very successful in corporate or as an entrepreneur or as a content creator, you need to be very, very self-aware and understanding psychology and managing human and communication skills. Those are the things that are going to get you the money. Mm-hmm. Not, not to mention the impact 
the the audience, the 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 value creation. Yeah. Uh, I, I Leadership. I, exactly. I couldn't agree more. And uh, the interesting part about it is just a couple of weeks ago, we did um, an Evolve event for Arte and I was teaching leadership. And, uh, you know, we, we were we were talking to entrepreneurs from five figures to nine figures. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, what I was drilling home was the I, I, I taught off one quote, one quote I taught off the whole time. I said, leadership is not when it's convenient. It's always. And all I drilled was psychology, self-awareness, psychology, self-awareness. And people were like, a lot of people, not all, were like, huh? And regardless if you're an entrepreneur or not, I believe that self-awareness and psychology mixed with being able to speak, especially if you're an entrepreneur, because a lot of us entrepreneurs are visionaries and we have the idea here. We see it here, but if you can't get it out, and people to actually understand it, you're literally wasting people's time and money, your own money and spinning gears. For sure. Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think today was a fantastic conversation. And uh, I really, I really, really, really want everyone to be able to connect with you. I know you're super active on, I know your podcast is huge. You're super active on Facebook and Instagram. There might be more. Why don't you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, I'll keep it simple. My website is 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. You'll find my podcast, the book, all the social channels that I'm on. And if you're into coaching, I'm, I'm there as well. I do business coaching and leadership executive coaching. So yeah, enjoy the conversation, man. We always cover some good stuff and I'm looking forward to having you on my show as well. And we're going to have part two over there. Yeah, hell yeah. Next week. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, dude, listen, you, you, you definitely created some, some value here. I mean, when I say some, I mean an immense amount. Um, I, I am grateful for your time. I'm, I'm thankful for your time and just know that I appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, enjoy those skateboarding lessons and make sure, I mean, skateboarding sessions and sessions. One, one of the best things I learned is always wear a helmet. Dude, I'm padded up. That was an agreement with my wife. I'm going to relearn skateboarding, but I'll just pad up every time. I don't want injuries either. So, yeah, yeah, dude. Well, just be careful and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Can all right, brother. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Well, I'm going. Go on, man. Can I kick it to my tribe that flows in layers? Right now, Fife is a point sayer. At times, I'm a studio conveyor. Mr. Dinkins.